Welcome to Acute Conversations, the official podcast of APTA Acute Care, where we share engaging conversations about acute care physical therapy so you can connect to your profession. I'm Ashley. And I'm Leo. Today we chat with Brian Hull and Kyle Ridgway. Brian is the director of rehab for Baylor University Medical Center in Dallas, and Kyle is an educator for inpatient rehab therapy and vice chair of the Mobility Clinical Effectiveness Group at University of Colorado Hospital. Today we discuss how to create value together, the power of collaboration, and why you should network at CSM. Let's welcome our guests. All right, welcome to the Acute Conversations podcast. Today's guest, we have a return admit with Dr. Kyle Ridgway. Again, he's an educator in patient rehab therapy at the University of Colorado Hospital. He's also vice chair of mobility and clinical effectiveness group at UCL. Along with him today, we have our new guest, Dr. Brian Hull, and he's the director of rehab for Baylor University Medical Center, Dallas. Kyle, Brian, thank you so much for joining us today. Why don't we just start off, how do you know each other? How did you start working and start collaborating with each other? Uh, and what are the different projects that you're working on? I think uh, one of the big things is, you know, we've uh, connected with each other over the years at the APTA CSM conference, which of course is coming up very soon now this month, and just kind of picking each other's brains and trying on different perspectives. Kyle, of course, is, uh, you know, has such a broad knowledge of clinical practice within acute care, especially once you get to critical care and, and a lot of other areas. On my perspective, I'm more on the administrative side and I'm trying to figure out how we can best apply the physical therapy, occupational and speech therapy too, but how we can best apply our expertise to acute care hospitals. And I can't just do it as an administrator. And then our co-author on this most recent paper, Vin, he's from University of New Mexico. He sends his regards and he did say, feel free to email or reach out if you have any questions. He wasn't able to make the podcast today. But as far as, you know, this, this most recent letter to the editor that came out, it all started at the actual combined sections meeting last year where we were just getting together, just talking about what we see with the current state of practice, where there's a lot of really excellent things going on. Mm -hmm. We want to give full credit to that. But how can we as a profession pull together in our different from the academic side, from the operations management side and the clinical side? How can we better pull together to push our acute care practice and operations to the next level? So I think all of us were just contemplating that conversation. And then Vin reached out and contacted us a couple of months ago and said, hey, guys, we need to put this on paper just to share these thoughts just to see if we can get the conversation advanced to the next level. That's so cool. And that's so cool that it started at CSM. So just in terms of the value of CSM and the people that you can meet and the collaborations that that's so cool. Kyle, have anything to add to that? I don't think so. I mean, I think it's just, you know, that serendipitous connection at CSM and then, you know, Brian and I taking each other's ideas and presentations and, and really learning from each other and expanding our horizons. And, you know, as, as Brian mentioned, is, is asking some good questions and, and pushing each other's thinking. And I think we've both been appreciative of being able to do that for each other in a way that's really focused on the patient and really focused on, you know, elevating how therapy and really physical therapy for this podcast impacts the broad swath of challenges that hospitals and health systems face and, and where there is a lot of value and indication for therapy expertise. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to bring that point up about 
about value and how we can create value together. Last year, and I think it was uh, at the end of the year, there was that one document that APTA put out in terms of the economic value of physical therapy. And that's just across the board. And so from a, from just a number standpoint, they're able to demonstrate value. But then bridging that gap and bringing us closer towards uh, what we do in acute care, what value that we can bring about. And what I think is great about this podcast is that we have different, in terms of our audience members, we have people that are new grads, we have people that are in management, people that are in leadership, people that are in academics. And I think what's great is that you all are yeah, clinician working yeah. to collaborate and put this all together so that we can bring the best outcomes out for our patients. Can you talk a little bit about, about that concept of bringing value together and working in collaboration? Uh, you know, I, I think, so one of the things, and I'll, I'll kind of go back to these random um, CSM conversations we've had, you know, and including the one last year that led to all this is, you know, commonly I will, you know, give, you know, reach out to Kyle for a question I have just to kind of pick his brain on something. And I might have in my own mind of my perspective, I, I, I think I will have kind of thought things through and I'll, maybe we can kind of apply this. And, you know, Kyle feels comfortable kind of picking apart my idea in a good way, in a constructive way to get me to re to view things. And the same with Vin, when we were all talking last year, he's he's got a great researcher's mind. Plus, he also has a love for acute care practice. And so some of his probing questions into my ideas on how I can move my own hospital operations forward he provides some great criticisms as far as methodology and, and what are the best outcome measurements to use so that you're actually measuring a solid impact. Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. from my perspective, and then I'll, I'll, I'll turn it over to Kyle, from my perspective, I think the administrator's role, if they're doing, if they're contributing the best they can to this triad that we're advocating more of, then I can be the one that helps translate um, what we're trying to accomplish clinically and the research and methodology behind it, that I can translate it to the language that the uh, CFOs and the C-suite talk about. And when they have um, extensive expenses that they're trying to cut back on so they can mm. towards the hospital open, like, guys, we just got to cut across the board, is that hopefully if I'm doing my job, I can translate the clinical outcomes we have to the metrics that they're trying to accomplish, which is length of stay, readmissions, and all of those things. But if I'm trying to do it just by myself, and sometimes administrators do, they get caught up in this weird world, whereas, well, I guess the best thing we can do is produce as many charge units as possible. Mm -hmm. Well, does that really do anything in acute care, especially since they're not really even related to revenue whatsoever, and that you can throw a thousand CPT codes at a patient and it won't change their outcome. It has nothing to do with it. So can I be the person that, that helps translate it and bring it together, operationalize it, and then get the budgetary approval to pull it off? Mm. So that's kind of where we're viewing the value is clinically, we know intrinsically the value we provide, but how can we, as we're implementing the evidence and translating the knowledge, how can we also translate the next step to the dollars and cents so we can gain uh, C-suite and decision-maker approval. Nice, nice. So I, I I skimmed the paper. I have not read the whole, whole thing yet. So it was called, I know, I know, I know, I'm sorry. I'm teaching three classes right now and I'm taking three classes for my PhD. I'm sorry, I will get to it, I promise. I do love to read, but it's called the value of healthcare. Like, the, sorry, creating value together. 
And mm -hmm. it says a triad of clinicians, administrators, and researchers. So what I'm hearing is like, Kyle, you're the clinician. Brian, you're the administrator in this team. And Vin's the researcher. So for those who maybe haven't read the whole paper, because I'm sure a lot of people have not, could you summarize and maybe share an example of what does this look like in practice? If somebody reads this and says, wow, that's really cool. How do I do that where I am? That's a great question. I mean, Brian and I were talking about this yesterday, actually, with a really granular example. And, you know, I think the caveat is, is like you may be a listener that works at a large, well-resourced health system. You have data analysts within your system. Uh, you may even have like internal research agendas and research nurse scientists and PhDs embedded in your health system. Uh, or you may work at a single hospital institution, either rural or urban. Maybe you're a critical access hospital. Maybe you're a trauma one hospital. Maybe you're a trauma three hospital. Right. So there's a lot of different levels of resource within your hospital. But I think an example that we pulled from folks who are really pushing our profession and the integration of therapy forward was from Johns Hopkins, a really granular example where they revamped their acute care service delivery model for patients with acute stroke. Hmm. And that was not based on, as an example, man, Kyle has this really like pet project idea. Who the heck knows where he got this idea? He's really loud. So I guess we'll try that, whatever, let's do it. It's fine. Right. So it was based on the biggest acute care mobility and rehab trial and acute stroke, the AVERT trial, mm. which Brian and I talked about is very easy to pull some snippets from and have a sound bite. But they obviously had someone who could interpret the research because they did a dose specific analysis to find out, OK, it's not just about timing early versus later, because what they actually found in the original study was earlier mobility was associated with worse outcomes at three months, but the dose-specific response analysis indicated that it was about the dosage as far as early, short, frequent mobility or rehab sessions were more impactful than early, longer rehab sessions. Mm. They obviously had someone who can interpret research, and then they got a multidisciplinary team together, and obviously their operators, to operationalize a care delivery model whereby they said, okay, how do we action and translate this research into practice? Which the way that they did it is we're gonna focus on shorter, more frequent sessions. So we're gonna say that patients with acute stroke can get up to six rehab therapy sessions per day by our three disciplines. However, to help our clinicians, and I bet this was a clinician recommendation of man, these are patients we often are trying to get to an order progress to home. They may have longer sessions. Mm -hmm. uh, how do we do this for our clinicians? So they would say, if you're doing two sessions a day with someone, one is focused on function and one is focused on impairments. Then mm. they obviously had some operators on board to say, okay, well, we need to quantify our process of delivery of care as far as historically for this population, what kind of therapy did they get? How many visits and when? And what was the length of time of that? And then how does this translate to important initiatives or priorities for the hospital around probably length of stay, throughput, discharge location. And so I think that's kind of a nice example of where, regardless of who it was that would, was doing it, you know, when we say researchers, administrators, clinicians, I think it probably needs a little bit of air quotes that yeah. mean we have to go to an academic program and get a PhD researcher who goes in acute care, and we have to get a very specific hospital administrator role and a very specific clinician expert. 
It's just that we need people who have those skill sets in that triad to get together to identify, interpret the research, get together with the right people who can then translate it to this is how it applies clinically in the context of our operational constraints or organizational strategy and goals. So that's an example. But I think the way that you do it, and I think Brian would be able to highlight this, is you have to broaden your perspective and you have to reach out and collaborate with the right people, Mm -hmm. um, you know, kind of throughout your organization or maybe even external to your organization. Mm -hmm. You not have the resource uh, internally. So is there an opportunity to look externally either to partners with your organization um, or people you know or not? So, Brian, please add to that. By the way, I love that you threw the ICF model in there. Of course. Educator, I got to love that. <laughs> That's right, students listening. It doesn't go away. It doesn't be with you for like your whole professional life. <laughs> Big ICF fan. My, I have a lot of whiteboard scribbling of ICF <laughs> model with our students. So. All right, go ahead, Brian. I had to just say that. <laughs> All right. no, I completely agree with, with Kyle. And I we do want to highlight that there are some great examples of these triads, for instance, the Johns Hopkins that we just mentioned, and there's there's other great you know programs, you know Duke and Henry Ford and Intermountain and, and some other great, even where Kyle is, where there's a strong connection between the researchers and operations managers who really also want to dive into the clinical side, and that those three groups, those three perspectives are combining. What we're advocating for is just to spread that on a much larger scale, to get that critical mass on hospitals throughout the nation who can think more broadly from that perspective. And, you know, as, as Kyle hinted to earlier, if you look at the three groups, and I completely agree with it, you know, air quoting that, there's no one who's going to very strictly be in one of those three categories, but kind of that that's the primary role they hold. Um, there are some excellent clinicians out there and there are some excellent researchers out there and there's some excellent operations managers out there but how often do you find an operations manager who is also pretty pretty adept at the the literature base and applying it clinically how often do you have a clinician who understands operations and on a regular basis can tie it back to how they're increasing or decreasing length of stay? And how often do you have uh, researchers who are actively embedded within um, acute care, even in a PRN position one day a week? You'll have sometimes folks who, um, within three groups, who have a strength in one of those three areas, but it's rare to find someone who is an active clinician, an actively publishing, disseminating researcher who is also excellent at clinical operations. And so being able to pull it all together. And, and again, there are a, a couple locations who are doing a, a really smash up job of that, but how can we spread that further? Talk about being spread, like sometimes you can be spread too thin, right? I'd rather have people that, I want the best people in the organization that are great in terms of operations management, and I want the best clinicians, and I want the best researchers, and we all collaborate together rather than me only, you know, me trying to wear three different hats and only doing them at about 33%. You know, Brian, when you had mentioned earlier, I think what's really important and what really kind of stuck out to me is that I remember being a staff therapist and just being told by management, we need to do this and we need to do that. And these are the, the numbers and just not feeling I was integrated or understood the whole story. And what I love about this is just, okay, even as a staff therapist or maybe as a new grad, if you can see the whole picture, 
about how the work that I do bedside, right with the patient has an effect, right? For both the patient, both my department, and for maybe the whole organization. And Kyle, you had brought this up, this whole idea from bedside to the boardroom, all of it gets connected. And just knowing that even the, what I might view as or perceive as these basic, basic day-to-day tasks, it has repercussions down the line. And I'm actually part of that whole picture. I'm a piece of the puzzle, which is cool because I don't I don't think I felt that initially, maybe as a, as a new grad. But what's also cool with this podcast is that it is, you know, we, we can connect. We want to connect our listeners to professionals and leaders within the field. And it is possible. And there's leaders like yourself and Kyle that are kind of helping with that collaboration. Yeah. And Leo, what you're highlighting is a, a well-known challenge in organizational psychology and organizational development, which is how do you communicate, cascade, and engage and align at different levels of the organization yep. um, within the role that people have, right? Mm-hmm. It is not the role of the staff therapist to, for example, drive the clinical strategy for the University of Colorado Health System, which has 13 hospitals and God knows how many ambulatory clinics, right? Mm-hmm. Right they don't have potentially the expertise or the insight, the skill or the scope to do that. But conversely, it's not the charge of the chief medical officer to drive the granular clinical specifics of what our therapists are doing with this patient at the bedside right now. And then all the layers in between, right? And that cascading and alignment within an organization is very, very challenging, but that's why getting the appropriate triad and stakeholders together they can help each other identify blind spots or areas where it's like, hey, you need to think a little bit broader or you need to think at a higher level or, quote unquote, not a lower level, but a deeper level when we're thinking about this. And if you get those right people together, you have these concentric circles that are able to take it from an individual patient case example at the bedside all the way to the strategic initiatives and objectives that a health system or hospital or even at a department level are trying to accomplish. And one of our chief nursing officers in our system always says the wisdom is at the bedside. And so if we're trying to decrease length of stay, of course, Brian is an operations economics expert. He can help us model that. He can be thinking about, hey, we need to process map this out. I need to understand what we're doing. But the clinician might have the secret sauce that says, here's the bottleneck and here's the problem. And them and Brian together can fix it and come up with a potential solution. And the researcher, the the, the data-minded person can say, well, and you know what? If you really want to answer that question, Brian, here's the data you need to collect. Or "Ah, you can't answer that question, but you can quantify this. And I think that would, and that's why all of those levels are important. And it's important to connect them from top to bottom and side to side. So we've talked a lot about this trio of clinicians, administrators, and researchers. I'm just curious, have you thought about maybe having a tetrad for and adding the patient into the mix? Like, do you bring the patient into these discussions as well and see what's most valuable to them in all of these decision making? Have you, I mean, considered that or has that been part of the puzzle? Because I know that's the end result, right? But I'm just curious, you know, where does the patient fall in your model? No, that's, that's, it's a great idea. And I, I see, you know, nothing wrong with that and only upside. So much of the work I try to accomplish and I'm trying to advance value and, you know, we only have so much money. 
allocated to us to provide the best possible impact on the hospital. So how can we provide the, the greatest uh, value? And of course, a lot of that comes from uh, Michael Porter that a lot of people know because we people like me always talk about him. He's from uh, Harvard Business School economist who's worked on so many different projects. And one of the prime things he says is we have to be focusing on outcomes that matter to patients. So often within hospitals, we're focused on turnaround time. We're focused on, you know, different minute measurements, or did we give this medication in time, or did we do this? And yes, uh, indirectly, the, 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 the patient does want that. But what does the patient really want? The patient wants to decrease their suffering. They want to expedite the recovery, and they want to get home. Who wants to be in the hospital? It's not a country club. It's not nice. It's an institutional place. They want to have expedited recovery. They want to get home. They want to get back to their occupations. They want to get back to their grandkids, to their church, their grocery store, their couch, their TV. And what can we do to get there? So, you know, definitely keeping the patient at the forefront. I think one of the nice things, and actually I do completely agree with you, getting that direct input from the patient will be beneficial. But the other thing is we all know, because hopefully most of us not hopefully, but uh, probably most of us have been in the hospital and or have family members that do, and we know what people want, which is expedited recovery, decreased suffering, get back to my life. I love you guys in the hospital, but I want to get away. I want to get back home and hopefully never see you guys again. So that's, that's the good thing as far as the goal that we have. And then going back to the value part of it, can we accomplish that? at mass scale for all 500 or 1,000 beds in our hospital? And can we do that with the finite resources that we've been allocated? And the better that we do it, the better we come together to apply the knowledge, the more lives we can impact when aggregated for those same limited dollars that we have to spend on salaries and supplies. Attention to key care members. The Bridge the Gap Conference is coming to Chicago, Illinois, May 3rd to 5th. The theme is Translating Evidence into Acute Care Practice. The conference will be focused on bringing the science and evidence for physical therapy into acute care practice. The conference will be featured in stunning downtown Chicago at the Department of Physical Therapy and Human Movement Sciences, Feinberg School of Medicine, Northwestern University. Once again, May 3rd to 5th. Registration is now open and is available to the first 96 attendees. Register early to secure your spot. Early bird registration closes on April 19th. Please check out our show notes for a link for conference registration and agenda. And now, back to the show. Yeah, Ashley, I, I want to jump off of that a little bit, Brian. I appreciate you highlighting that, and I think definitely an opportunity for us to more clearly communicate that that is absolutely the foundation or an important part of that. So, you know, whether you want to say, hey, we've now got a box and the patient is in there or that triangle, the center of that triangle is actually the patient. Uh, I think Mm -hmm. that visual is helpful. Uh, It reminds me, it reminds me a little bit of, you know, the initial talks of the triple aim of healthcare to enhance patient experience, improve population health and reduce costs you know, as that was kind of widely accepted, like, hey, here's our compass, here's our true north to optimize health system performance. You know, there was a transition to say, hey, actually, don't we really need a quadruple aim here, which is 
the care of our patients requires the care of our providers. And I think, you know, what we're proposing, we clearly want to state that the patient either needs to be in the middle or a part of that. And there's a lot of ways to get at that, right? You know, a lot of, you may not always have the resource time funding ability to bring formal hospitalized patients in and actually do focus interviews or things of that nature. You may have a health system that has a patient and family council, right? Where there's actually community members, patients and families who are a part of conversations around strategy and logistics, but maybe you don't, but I bet you have something or some opportunity. Do you do patient experience rounding? Do you have HCAP scores? They're not perfect, but you probably have some type of uh, quantification or qualitative data that is the voice of your customers, the patients that you serve, and you can use that, right? You know, for example, if your HCAP scores show that everything is great, but your patients really rate you low on responsiveness, okay, well, we, we know what our patients are telling us regardless of what we think we're doing. And so I think understanding that patient voice is important. And, and again, you can tie it back to the research and say, okay, is there qualitative research that suggests writ large what patients desire as an outcome or what they prioritize, right? And as an example, within our health system, you know, we kind of created a home first initiative where we said, we're going to take a home first mindset to every single person that comes into our hospitals. We're not saying we're going to send everyone home, but we're going to take a home first mindset. Well, if you look to the research, right, there's a bunch of aging in place re research over the past few decades that say patients unequivocally prefer to age and recover at home if they can, even though they have a lot of concerns about it. Mm -hmm. And that our patients rate the loss of ADL independence and institutionalization in a nursing home as worse outcomes than death. Mm -hmm. So we can ask our local patients to get more context, but we also have qualitative research that informs the voice of the patient that we can leverage. So I think, Brian, our new triangle definitely has the patient in the middle or it's balanced on, on the patient as the foundation or the patient as a part of that uh, triad mm -hmm. for sure. Now, Brian, you had mentioned earlier too about we haven't hit critical mass yet with this idea of this collaboration. Where do you feel that we're at right now in terms of a, a profession, especially on acute care, in terms of implementing this? And if we're not at critical mass, what are some of the barriers and challenges for us to be able to get up to speed? Well, I, Leo, that's a gigantic question. Glad <laughs> <laughs> okay. you asked. Thank you. <laughs> so, um, the definitive answer on where we are is we're 20% of the way there. Don't ask me how I came to that. Uh, I just think that we're clearly uh, less than half. Again, we have some gold standard uh, hospitals and with, with the triads operating out there and they're publishing, they're disseminating. People like me, people like Kyle and Vin are taking their um, best practices and publications and trying to implement them to the best of our ability. But how do we get there further? I mean, I, I think it starts at the individual clinician, uh, researcher, or uh, operations manager, whoever is, you know, reading a paper like this or watching a podcast like this or going to a seminar and getting uh, inspired by something they see or a new best practice and being able to say, all right, here's my lens and here's what, what excites me about this particular finding or this particular innovative approach. Now, so a clinician, um, let's say a clinician finds that to go to their administrator who maybe they really haven't gotten into the weeds before in a good conversation about philosophically, how can we best be utilized to impact patient care and say, hey, 
I know you're busy. Can I get 30 minutes of your time this week or next week? I, I have this exciting new idea or this new paper came out. I'd love to talk with you about it. And for that clinician to really push themselves towards divergent thinking, get out of their comfort zone to think like, all right, I hate money. I hate dollars and cents. I, I became a physical therapist and a not an accountant for a reason. But how would I, if I was forced to connect the dots back to the dollars and cents that keep the hospital doors open? And that's where you get like the length of stay, you get mortality, you get returning home, things like that. And then bring that conversation. I think the administrator will will actually get pretty excited because they're used to people like me are used to being in this world where we think what we think about and talk about is exciting, but the rest of the world gets extremely bored by dollars and cents and finance and all that. I think likewise that administrators like myself, instead of just saying like, oh, we need to do more of this or get more numbers or try to put out the complaints of, of, of the people who are loudestly complaining to be able to engage our clinicians, to be able to say, all right, first of all, with this population, with this problem, what does the literature say? What do the best practices say? And then how can we connect the dots engineering that back to the outcomes. And then if, you, if you're not actively connected with academics and researchers in your areas, reach out to them and say, hey, are any of your professors interested in getting you know, a PRN job and picking up just one shift, one half, you know, half day shift a month to uh, get their hands dirty in our ICU? You, know, you may have been out of practice, at least in the hospital. Maybe you're, you're working more outpatient or home health you haven't been in the hospital in five, 10 years, don't worry, we will do some handholding, we'll get you caught up. And then while you're here and while you're helping out, just like throw some curveballs at us, what you think we could do better, how we could collect data better. Maybe there's a paper you came across, but I think we all have to push ourselves to more divergent thinking. Mm. And that it has to happen organically, but in a very structured sense, hospital by hospital, whether it starts with a clinician or a regional researcher at the local university or a director or administrator, it needs to start with them and they need to reach out to the other two people and say, hey, I can only bring so much perspective to the table. I want you to challenge me. I want you to throw curveballs. We have to embrace more divergent thinking and come together to be able to look at, at these problems more holistically. We can do it. It's just, it's, it's hospital by hospital and we're 20% of the way there only. Brian, I have a question for you. Do, do you have too many clinicians knocking on your door that say, Hey, Brian, I read this article or I see this problem clinically. And I heard, you know, you or my manager talking about this hospital initiative. Is this something where it's like, Oh my God, guys, stop coming to me. Or is this something where someone comes and knock and you say, guys, this is what I need more of. Oh, for sure. I, I would always love more of it. I know that my perspective based off of you know the experiences I've had, the type of education I've had, the, the articles I read, that my viewpoints are going to be limited like all of ours are. And the more that we can have people push each other, the more we can really advance forward. Yeah, I think sometimes, you know, a lot of our clinicians like, oh, I, I know you're busy. I know everyone's busy. Well, of course, like we, there's more stuff to do than there is time. But this is actually, I think, a yearning of most administrators and leaders, especially those that get multiple steps away from the bedside, right? So if you're not a day-to-day -day operator that's overseeing the day-to-day -day operations, you know, like a supervisor or manager, but you're more 
uh, a director or someone at that level, uh, I can imagine that it's like, hey, I, I need I need more of this. And this is actually something I want to prioritize and make time for because it actually helps me in, in my in my role. You know, and I think another thing is I think clinicians or hospitals are sometimes reticent to reach out to academic partners or potential academic partners to like, ah, well, I know this person is a big NIH grant researcher. They get R01s. There's no way they're going to want to work on our little pet project. And, and that may be true, right? Everyone has priorities and, and work they must prioritize. But if you get to a big enough academic partner, that person probably has a whole team of researchers, PhD students, right? And especially in PT academia and a PT academia for acute care, the problem that I hear is we don't have any data. I don't have data. Like I, I, I would love some data for my PhD students. And is there a way to kind of come to the middle and get those win-wins mm -hmm. where you don't have the data analytics, time, power, skill, but maybe you have some questions or QIs or operational things going on. And these academic partners, PhD students and others have a real yearning and need to, to learn, practice, analyze and disseminate. And you guys can come together and maybe it's not perfect for you because you need to align a little bit with the um, research group's direction. And maybe it's not perfect for them because they need to yield a little bit to the data you have or can get and the questions that you want to answer. But uh, I think there's always more opportunities there than it may seem. And one of Brian's, I think, great insights that he always brings up is, you know, hey, we've got to start these conversations. you, mm -hmm. you got to reach out and see what's out there. And even if it's, you know, the biggest PT researcher in the profession, I promise you they know a lot of researchers. So maybe they can't do it, but like, oh, you know what? I've got this person, you know, I had this person over at Duke and she'd love to do this. Like she, this is right up her alley. In fact, she's doing something there too. You guys probably, she would love to probably get multi-site data. Let me connect you. And those connections, uh, Leo, as you alluded to the power of CSM, that net bringing connections, therapy at all levels of roles is a small world. So you'll find someone who knows someone who can partner and collaborate with you. And that's even true internal. I think sometimes as, as therapy clinicians uh, or leaders, we're also a little reticent to reach out to our financial partners, right? Our nursing leaders and partners, but other kind of quality safety people. What are we doing with analytics? I mean, you might be surprised uh, the resources or skill that you have in your institution that is focused on quality safety outcomes, clinical data, data analytics, process and quality improvement. And, and there's a lot of opportunity there, especially when you can do that divergent thinking mm -hmm. and connect your need to the strategic priorities or the acute and long-term challenges that your hospital is facing. When Kyle, let an me... initiative like this, you need collaborators and you need connectors, right? Yeah. And that was one of the big reasons I branched out into academia was I had been a clinician for so long and I was interested in doing more research, but didn't always feel I had the opportunity. So I came over to this side so I could do more research. And like you said, Brian, I still go out about a half a day every now and then and see patients just to stay connected. But that's one of my favorite things to do is to help clinicians get their research done because they don't have that opportunity otherwise. So I have two groups that I'm helping with their pet projects, so to speak. And so it can be done. You know, you just have to find the right person. But before we move on to our rapid response, is there anything else you all wanted to, to share that we haven't covered today or what's next for you? 
I can't think of anything. You know, I've okay. I've always found that the more I try to figure out the path I need to be on and what comes next, the more that life happens and other opportunities show up. So, you know, I try to do the best I can with each opportunity as it's on. So for instance, when Vin, Vin approached us about this paper to kind of recycle that conversation that we'd had, dig in a little bit deeper, and then to put something on paper to get other people joining on the conversation, you know, that's kind of it for right now. And then other than that, I think all of us are, are so busy that for me right now, I'm just interested in attending um, the, the CSM conference, which next week to be able to kind of soak it all in and mm -hmm. find some new inspirations, find some new ideas, and then bring it back to my hospitals and try to implement it. So that's kind of what's next is, I don't know. Yeah, I agree with that, Brian. And I think, I think for me, it, it's really continuing to connect with the right people and ask the right questions. It's become an exception of mine that, you know, the right questions are really where we need to start to make sure that we're solving the right problems. And then, you know, I think for me, one little punctuation on the value conversation is oftentimes when we think about value, it's to think about rehab, hear me roar, which is in Leveza and Michael Friedman quote from Hopkins, which is you're the rehab therapist in the room, hear me roar about how great we are. You need that, that's important. But part of it is too, is really asking the question of where do we have variance and potentially waste internally? And what does value actually look like? And for me, the, the next step is really figuring out how we make care delivery models and metrics that we can measure at a general level that Brian can then deliver to other administrators and executives. And part of that is the really hard conversation of who are we over-serving? Who are we giving a lot of resource to and not moving the needle so much? And sometimes the first step in value is actually identifying variance and waste, mm. identifying what is a low value allocation of this scarce resource. Because if you can decrease low value, even though you haven't precisely defined the highest value, intuitively you're starting to improve your value impact. And so that's some of kind of where my thinking has been going recently. But um, like Brian, just excited to get to CSM and, and connect and, and continue the conversation, I think, really. You know, I, I want to I kind of piggyback both of you because what I've heard multiple, multiple times throughout your responses is, uh, is how important conversations are. And I'll even say that acute conversations are very important. <laughs> so I'll just throw that dad joke in there a little bit. And then yeah, Kyle, I love what you're saying. <laughs> I've I been waiting. I will say too, Kyle, just hearing about the the value, low value versus high value. Again, I think you're going to be a, a repeat guest, possibly. You're going to have uh, multiple admits on the show. So we'd love to have you back and Brian, you as well. Thank you. So, and then also the plug too, if, if people didn't listen to the last podcast, you're going to be one of the sharks for TSM and the Shark Tank. So again, what's great with what we do with this podcast is connecting our listeners to people and leaders in our profession. Both myself and Ashley work in academia. So if you want to reach out to us, and again, maybe it's not us, but we can connect you to the right people. And again, Kyle and Brian, we will include your contact information in the show notes if people would like to reach out to, to Dr. Kyle and Dr. Brian, you'll have that information. I think that's so cool that we can reach out and try to implement some change. Yeah, stop at CSM, especially Brian. If you have the hard questions. <laughs> well, no, I think the hard questions need to go to Vin because he's not here and he offered, right? To there answer we go. Questions. 
There we go. He, he would prefer it that way. <laughs> Excellent. Now, Brian, I know Kyle, you're familiar with the rapid response. Brian, are you are you familiar with our rapid responses? Somewhat. Okay. <laughs> and actually, I think we're starting a trend because I've been watching some other therapy-related podcasts, and some of them are doing the same thing, these rapid questions afterwards. So I think we're gaining some popularity and momentum. But basically, we're going to ask you a question, and then the first thing that comes to your mind right away, it's, it's a rapid response, acute care. We need action right away. And we're going to go for, what's our time limit, Ashley? One minute. One minute. All right. Is this for me or for Kyle? For we'll both of you. Back and forth. Okay. You can decide who goes first now, or you can alternate. Whatever's up to you. <coughs> we'll, start, we'll start with Brian. All okay. right, Brian, you'll go first. And I was going to say Kyle go first because he's got a quicker brain than me. <laughs> Mine's a little bit slower these days. Well, alphabetically, first and last name, you come first. Fine. And, and yeah. you're the new guest. You're the new guest. So I think we're gonna we're gonna go. With All right, you ready? Everybody ready? I'll ask the first question. All right, and go. Brian, what's your most favorite scrub color? Oh, geez. I'll go with black just because that's what we're stuck with here in Dallas. <laughs> Perfect. Kyle, what's your favorite way to exercise? Man, probably something on a trail, skiing, hiking, biking. Awesome. Brian, if you can have lunch with one person from past history, who would it be? Oh, gosh. Uh, I'm going to go from current history, uh, also past, Willie Nelson, who is the star of Texas and Poet Laureate, and he's still around for a little bit longer, so I'd love to sit, sit down with him. Awesome. Kyle, what other podcast would you recommend to our audience? Ooh, that's an easy one. The Knowledge Project with Shane Parrish. Mm. Fantastic. Brian, do you prefer Chicago deep dish pizza or New York thin crust pizza? Deep dish. Deep dish. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, thank you right. up and say Detroit style. Just throw a curveball with it's not even an option. Ooh, we got to add that in there. Kyle, if you had an, no, it's his last one. Kyle, if you had an entrance song, what would it be? If I had an entrance song, what would mm -hmm. it be? That played uh, every time you walked into a room. Turned down for what? <laughs> <laughs> All right. And our last question for both of you to answer. You know you work in acute care when, fill in the blank. When you love things to fall down all around you continuously and that you're challenged to pick up the pieces and somehow make it better than it was originally. Oh, I love that. Man, that's a that's a nice philosophical <laughs> motivating answer. I'm gonna say when you're called everything but a therapist, every other profession that can wear. <laughs> that's a new one. I like that one too. That's or so you're called some combination. My favorite other ever was the the exercise nurse is here. I've got to go. <laughs> Wow. I, like oh, that. I love that. Which was a compliment. I Anytime you, I think we get wrapped in with our nursing colleagues, I take that as a big compliment. So oh, absolutely. Well, thank you all for being here and for everyone listening and for myself. Go read the paper. It's, it's great. And I'm so glad you all took the time to write that. And I think it's a really great idea that you're putting out there that we should all look to aspire to. Absolutely. And any of the, the articles that were mentioned during this podcast, we'll have them in the show notes. Contact information for our guest speakers will also be in the show notes. Hopefully we'll see you all over at CSM. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, thank you. We would like to thank Brian and Kyle for joining us today on Season 2 of the podcast. Acute Conversations is the official podcast of APT Acute Care. It is hosted by Leo Argulis and Ashley Poole. Executive produced by Katie Brito and Edward Mathis. Music by Alexia Action from Pixabay. Sound effects also from Pixabay. For more information about APTA Care, be sure to check out our show notes for links and resources from the Academy. 
If you found value from our podcast, please be sure to subscribe, follow, and share with your friends and colleagues. Join us next time for a recap of CSM 2024 in Boston. Thank you for listening, and may your shoes and scrubs stay clean today. I'm Ashley. And I'm Leo. Oh, wait. I don't think I have your chat. I don't think you came up here. Oh, I forgot to hit sin. Okay, okay let's, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's do it again. Here we go. Okay, take two. All right.